people in the house tonight. Good. Hey, don't despise small beginnings. Right? I'm just excited to be with people. And I've got some good news for you. Who wants some good news tonight? Can't do it. Can't do it until someone says, yes, I want good news. Okay, that's enough. Good. Um, the Lord is doing great things in the nation of Israel. We are glad to see the, uh, the COVID numbers going down. And some of the regulations coming off. Okay? So tonight we, we had a, a few more people start to show up than we've had in the past months because... Those regulations are coming off. So I want, want you to listen to me for a second. And, and as I'm welcoming everybody online, welcome everybody watching on King's Community Live and Facebook Live and YouTube and all those great platforms that you get to connect with us on. But I'm really honored to have the people in the house tonight. And listen, starting next week, what we know is some of the restrictions are being lifted. Okay? We do not have to take temperatures anymore. You do not have to register starting next week, not, not ahead of time and not when you come in the door. That's a blessing, okay? And because the government is starting to take into account the square meters of the building, that gives us a little bit more flexibility in this beautiful sanctuary to have everyone come and worship as you are comfortable. And when you arrive next week, feel free to space out. If you want to space out, there's plenty of room. And you, you say, okay. Last big question, what's the deal with the face mask? That's up to you. You pray about that, you decide what you're going to do about that. We're going to let it be up to you and the Holy Spirit, okay? But we're back in the house next week. We're going to try to accommodate as many people who want to come and worship. So those of you watching online, if you were curious, what are you doing next week? Well, you're invited to come worship with us, and that is great news, okay? Now, are there still some regulations? Sure there are. There's still some regulations. We're not going to be quite ready to do personal prayer ministry with the laying on of hands. We're not quite there. We're not allowed to have food yet, so we're not going to do the food. But come on, aren't we happy that we can be together in the presence of the Lord, worshiping, having the prophetic move of God, hearing the word together, saying hi? You might even be brave enough to hug someone. That'll be up to you. Hallelujah. But that's good news. We've got lots of great things happening. Discipleship class Wednesday. Make sure you join us for that. There's prayer every day going on in the summit. There's not a better time to pray in the world than right now. So there's your invitation. There's your update. I'm going to try to do a little recording later this week and put it on our website, social media, and things like that out in your newsletter so that if you don't get the King of Kings Community Jerusalem newsletter, make sure you go on the website, sign up for that, and that way you will know everything that we're up to date on. You'll know about it, okay? Today is the 29th day of counting of the Omer, and so we, we want to honor that, and we mention it every service because we honor the feasts and festivals of the Lord. We believe every one of them points to Yeshua and his coming. And we believe that if we will live by God's cycles, by God's instructions, by God's design, we will be a blessed people. And so we are counting 50 days from the last Sabbath of the spring festivals 
until the next God-appointed holiday of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Today is day 29. So count with us, if you will. I want to bring you greetings for a moment. I had the pleasure yesterday morning on Shabbat, I had the pleasure of, of bringing the sermon lesson to King of Kings Community Herzliya. That's one of our one of our communities in the uh, family of King of Kings. They're doing great, and I just want to say publicly how wonderful Daniel and Jaylene and Matt and Daniela are doing with that community. If you've never uh, heard about that, go to our website kkm.network, and you'll see all the congregations that we that we love on, and we we coach and we encourage in our family of ministries. And then after I got done with that, I was able to go to an event in the afternoon with another King of Kings congregation called Nachalat Yeshuotenu, and they were gathering outside. And so I bring you greetings not only from King of Kings Herzliya, but also from Nachalat Yeshuotenu, and I will be in Haifa next weekend as well. So we're going to touch a lot of people over the course of this week. So your family is praying for you all over Israel. If you didn't get a chance to be with us last week for the message, we talked about because we're staying in the, the series called Moving Forward. We're studying the book of Nehemiah. Last week's sermon was called The Instinct of Prayer. So you'll hear me re- repeat a few of those notes today as we lay a foundation. And if you missed week one, a great uh, uh, starter introduction week Pastor Ray did. And one of his key phrases was, holy discontentment that moves us to action. Right? That's what Nehemiah was feeling, a holy discontentment. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. It's going to be our main text tonight. And you will forgive me if I need to take a couple of sips of water. There's two reasons for that. Because the Lord healed me from some sinus infection this week. Can I get an amen for that? The second reason is I worshiped really hard a while ago. And, And whatever I had in the tank, I left it out there on the field, you know? Come on. Don't take it back to the locker room with you. Leave it out on the field. I was worshiping. And I will sing of the goodness of God. Amen. Somebody. There it is. Hallelujah. All my life he's been faithful. Now, as a little bit of a background just to catch you up, Nehemiah is in the citadel of Susa, the Babylonian Empire. He's part of the exile He's serving King Artaxerxes at this time of the writing. And some of his brothers in a Jewish caravan have left the exile. They went back to Israel. They came back here to Jerusalem. And they saw what the state of the city was. They looked at the Temple Mount. They looked at the walls, the gates, etc. And they go back to the citadel of Susa. And Nehemiah is very anticipatory. He is very excited about what, what is the report? He says, come here, quick, give me the report. What did you see? What did you hear? And they shake their heads and they say, brother, it's not good. It's not a good report. Jerusalem is destroyed with fire. The walls are broken down around David's holy city. The temple is destroyed. The gates are broken. And this sends Nehemiah into a time of fasting And prayer, he mourned for the destruction of his people and for them, their disobedience that sent them into exile. He's mourning over this. He confesses the sin of the people. We call that 
identificational repentance, that he repented as part of the people. And as part of the people, he could say, we repent. That's called identificational repentance. And then he recommitted himself and the nation of Israel to the ways of the Lord. The next day, he's in the presence of the king. Now, this is a powerful man. He's in the presence of the king. He's a cupbearer, which is his title. But last week, I I showed you in the text that just because he was called a cupbearer doesn't mean all he did was bring drinks. He wasn't a waitress. Why? Well, because when he was sad, the king noticed. A king isn't going to notice unless someone's important. And he says to Nehemiah, why are you sad? I've never seen you that way. That means the king has been paying attention to him. Otherwise, how would he know the comparison? Tell me why you're sad. And so Nehemiah, though a cupbearer in title, has something on his heart that God has put there. The king obviously trusts him. He's in his presence. He notices his demeanor. And we find here in the text that Nehemiah is in front of the king, and we'll read it in just a second, and he says, I'm sad for my people. And the king says, hey friend, tell me what you want. I'm going to give you whatever you want. Again, not not just a cupbearer. Has influence with the king. And the king says, tell me what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. And Nehemiah doesn't answer. He prays first. Again, the instinct of prayer for this guy. It's quite impressive. So he's having this meeting with the king. And he's telling the king what's on his heart. And I want to pick up the reading. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy." And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So, Again, to prove my point, he wasn't just a cup bearer. That was just his title. He has an audience with the king. The king knows his normal demeanor. That's how much he pays attention to him. The king says, I can see you're sad. That's different than normal. Tell me what you need. I'll give it to you. So he tells the king what he needs. The king gives him letters of permission and authority and signet seals to give to the other governors. And now he has an audience with the governors. He has... Building supplies. He's not just going to rebuild the walls, but the gates and part of the temple. He's going to build a house for himself. That's how you know he wasn't just a slave cupbearer. The king is giving him all of these things, including enough material to build a house for himself. This is a man of great standing. 
It's like calling Daniel an administrator. It's like calling Joseph a dream interpreter while they both sat at the right hand of the king and the pharaoh. It's like calling us, people of God, listen to this. It's like calling us servants, and yet we are co-heirs with the Messiah, that we will rule and reign with our God. We are princes and princesses of, of the Father, our, our king. Yet we're called servants, right? And so Nehemiah is more than just a simple cupbearer. <coughs> He has letters of safe passage. Did you notice he has an army with him? Now, he has army officers, he has the cavalry. And this may have played into some of what was happening. And when I read that text over and over, something stood out to me very unique. And it was really verse 10. And it says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Are you catching that? They're disturbed that someone has come My apologies. They are disturbed that someone has come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now you might say, well, maybe that was because they had an army. That's a little bit intimidating. You have army officers, you have the cavalry, you've got these letters for the governors. That's a little intimidating. So these local guys may have felt a little bit threatened. But you might say, when one group comes to promote the welfare of another group that has been destroyed. Why would that disturb you? This is going on in a lot of places in the world right now. Is it okay to come to the aid of a destroyed group or a group that has been attacked? Well, certainly it is. And you might say, well, didn't, didn't Tobiah and, and Sanballat, didn't they realize how weak Israel was at the time? What were they so scared of? They didn't have a temple. They didn't have any walls. The gates were broken down. Anybody could attack them. What were they so afraid of? What was causing the disturbance? Why didn't they want someone to look after the welfare of the Israelites? As the story continues in Nehemiah, you're going to learn a little bit more about these two guys and what their real motivation was. But I can tell you this, that even though they might have had a little bit of concern because of the army that came with Nehemiah, they were really walking under the influence of the anti-Semitic demonic spirit. That's what is actually pushing them to oppose what Nehemiah is trying to accomplish. Now, if you know the history of the Jewish people, you know how many times they've been attacked. 
They've been ostracized. They've been killed. They've been kicked out of countries. But today, aren't you glad? Because of God's covenant, God's promises, we get to worship today in Jerusalem. Just being here for that is a miracle. They didn't like that someone cared for the welfare of the Israelites. Boy, we could, we could probably in our mind point a few fingers around the world right now. How dare you care for the welfare of Israel and watch the same anti-Semitic demonic spirit rise in, in certain nations and countries who, and certain people who are being influenced by that same demonic spirit. And so Nehemiah, in the middle of the night, he, he inspects the walls. He doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing because he has something in his heart that God has put there. And he inspects the walls all the way around the city of Jerusalem. And then he feels like it's time to explain his plan. So look in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 16. Let me read this to you. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Ah, a little confrontation here. Some sharp language going back and forth. First, Sanballat and Tobiah, and now Geshem has been added to it. They were disturbed that Nehemiah would care about the welfare of the Jews. And now they're mocking and ridiculing Nehemiah and the other Jewish leaders for what they want to do when they want to rebuild Jerusalem. Then they begin to tell lies about them. Then they accused them of dishonoring the king, saying, you are rebelling against the king. And I couldn't help but notice in this, friends, how much of that sounded like the Lord Yeshua. Right? Yeshua, God himself, had an assignment to come from his heavenly throne and to inspect the walls. And when he inspected the walls of this earth, he realized they were very broken down. But he had in his heart to do something amazing. 
to save us, to die as our sacrifice, to give us gifts of his word and his spirit. And do you know that when Yeshua came, there were those that met him in opposition. There were those that didn't like that Yeshua cared about the welfare of the Jews. They didn't like that. He was inspecting the walls of Judaism and had some comments on it. He had a plan. And some of the religious leaders started mocking him. They were disturbed at what he wanted to do. They mocked Yeshua and ridiculed him. Then they accused Yeshua of rebelling against Caesar, the king, the emperor. And I couldn't help but when I was reading Nehemiah, I felt like I was reading about Yeshua. Which is not out of line with the rest of Scripture. Some of you were part of our discipleship class this past Wednesday. I invite everybody to join us. We have three wonderful classes to choose from. But Pastor Wayne and I were were teaching in one of the courses... And we were talking about Yeshua being the archetype, the model, the example, and that some others have come before him with attributes that were given to us in Scripture so that we would be able to recognize the Messiah Yeshua. And I know that Nehemiah is not normally put in that category, but friends, I'm telling you, after this reading, I realize Nehemiah is also one of the forerunners of the Messiah. And I'd never seen that before. The freshness of the word of God is amazing. We all know about Noah. Noah is easy to spot about how Yeshua correlates with that. There's only one way to be saved from this flood. and Get into the boat that I made you. Abraham's easy. You're going to be the father of a new nation. You're going to have a miraculous son born to you. That's easy to see how Yeshua fits there. Isaac, the son himself, the beloved son of promise, is going to be sacrificed by his father, carries his own wood to his own sacrifice potentially, just like Yeshua was carrying the cross to his own execution. Easy to see Messiah there. Melchizedek, the king and priest. How many people in the Bible do that? Joseph, rejected by the brothers, sent down into the pit, rises out of the pit, saves his brothers. Come on, that's easy to see Yeshua in that stuff. Moses, the deliverer, called out of the desert. Go deliver the people. Signs and wonders, the Passover story, the blood of the lamb, the great intercessor, the great lawgiver, the judge, the prophet. Bible even says that... The Messiah will come as a prophet like Moses. Joshua, the commander of God's army, right? Come on, takes him into the promised land. Easy to see Yeshua in that. King David, the prophetic line. What about John, the one that immerses everyone in water? John, his cousin. Easy to see Yeshua and the forerunners of Yeshua there because he's preaching the gospel of repentance. He's preaching... Immersion and baptism in water. It's easy to see Yeshua in all of these foreshadowing stories. But this is the first time I saw it in Nehemiah. 
that he came to inspect Jerusalem. He had a heart for the people. He cared about the welfare of Israel. Some of the natives mocked him, ridiculed him, tried to stop him, lied about him, and then accused him of rebelling against the king. And when I give you those six attributes, you have no idea, am I talking about Nehemiah or am I talking about Yeshua? Because I didn't even tell you which one I was describing. And I thought that was just such a wonderful moment. How good God is to explain his personality, to explain his heart motive, to explain his attributes to us, not only in word form, but in picture form and in example form with some of these patriarchs and matriarchs of faith. Now, this day of rebuilding and moving forward that Nehemiah has in his heart because God put it there, he says, we're going to rebuild. We've just come through a horrible time. We're going to rebuild. And some of us in our life today, we can relate with that a little bit. We're not saying we've been in exile. Corona does not equal to the destruction of our people. And yet there are a few principles we can glean from the lessons we've learned. But the rebuilding of Israel, of Jerusalem, of the temple, of the walls, of the gates has been prophesied about many times. Let me give you a couple of those examples. Isaiah chapter 58, 12. Your people all will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. See, Isaiah saw it. What about Jeremiah? He prophesies in the same Direction, Jeremiah 33, 7. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and we will rebuild them as they were before. Now you say, well, it's not fair to prophesy after it happens. You're right. They were prophesying before it happened. These guys are prophesying in the middle of the destruction of Israel, in the middle of the exile, in the middle of being foreigners, they are prophesying that God will turn this around and he will call someone the rebuilder. They're prophesying it ahead of time. Amos chapter 9 verse 14, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. And here is something I found extremely interesting. That when Nehemiah receives this word from the Lord and he puts it in his heart and he makes the journey and he has the opposition but he finally inspects the walls and he talks to the other Jewish leaders and he says guys I believe God gave us a vision to rebuild this city this temple these walls the gates this whole country this is our covenant land let's rebuild it what do you say and they say yes let's do it together we buy into that vision and once that agreement was made Nehemiah had to realize from knowing the Bible himself, from knowing the prophetic writings, probably from even knowing some of these guys personally, he had to know at that moment that these prophecies were about him. How would you like that moment with God? 
How would you like to read the Bible and as you're reading, not just be encouraged because that's great, not just be convicted, that's great too, but to read the Bible and, and say to yourself, is this talking about me? What a sobering and yet exciting moment to discover something like that. And I believe Nehemiah had that moment. I believe he's reading from his peers and, and people he respected, Isaiah, the prophet, Jeremiah, and Amos. And he's reading, hey, somebody's going to go back and rebuild it. And when he gets agreement of the people, he says, that's me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm in the Bible. They're talking about me. You think John the Baptist, John the Immerser, cousin of Yeshua, didn't know the word of God, didn't realize the prophets were talking about him? At some point, he had to know it. They start prophesying about what he's going to eat, what he's going to wear, where he's going to live, how he's going to be, what his message is going to be. You think he didn't look in the mirror one day with the camel's hair and the belt eating? Man, I think they're talking about me. Of course, we know Yeshua had the same feeling. But every page of the Bible is talking about him. And he had to live on earth with the knowledge that every time he taught another lesson or healed another person or fed another poor person, every time he did something else extraordinary, he was the person the scripture was talking about because they told us he would do it. What a sobering feeling. What an exciting feeling to realize, man, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm the one they're talking about in the Bible. How fun would that be if you realized that one day? And here you are, you're studying the word because you're faithful, you're servant, you want more of God in your life and you're reading and it starts telling you what you're going to do and how you're going to be successful. And it starts describing you in great detail. And all of a sudden you realize, I think it's talking about me. Well, can I propose something to you today, friends? You have the blessing today of living in the land of Israel. Something that was prophesied about. And we have a few weeks or months, depending on the regulations, that we're going to have a very special, sweet time as a local congregation that we haven't had in quite a while. And that is, our beloved friends from around the world cannot visit us right now. So everybody in the house, everybody in community groups, everybody that's praying in the summit, this is family that lives at home. We haven't had this moment in a very long time. Because there's no airplanes flying from abroad that are bringing visitors and friends and tourists and all that stuff. No, the regulations don't allow all that stuff yet. Not for a couple of more weeks. This is family right now. And I want you to hear me as family. God has put you in Israel, in Jerusalem, here, for a time that he has prophesied about. Friends, it's not just Nehemiah who was described in the Bible. It's not just John who was described. It's, it's not just Yeshua who's described. Hear me on this. You were described in the Bible. 
Our day, our time, our age right now has been described in the Bible. And whether you want to see it or not eschatologically, and you want to say, where am I at on the prophetic timeline? How about the return of the Lord? We're somewhere in all that. But Romans chapter 11 starts to really hone in on how we see ourselves prophesied about in the Bible for our day and our age. Romans 11.23 And if the Jewish people do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, talking about the Jewish people, the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. What does this mean? This means at the end of the age, the Jewish people will have their own nation again. That's been prophesied. Never to be destroyed again. That has been prophesied. They will return from the four corners of the earth. That's been prophesied and done. Happening now. And that the Jewish people will come to faith in their Jewish Messiah Yeshua. In great numbers that will impact the whole world. Because when they rejected the Messiah, it was a blessing for the world. Because the gospel went out. But when they received the Messiah, it's like life from the dead. For who? For the world. And God has already said it's going to happen in the land. In the last days, the last great harvest of the age, when the Jewish people from all corners of the earth are being brought home. You know, depending on which studies and statistics you look at, you might even realize that today as we're approaching 9 million people in Israel, it's probably the largest Jewish population that has ever lived in the land in history. That has been prophesied about. And you get to be part of it. Just like Nehemiah got to read himself into the Bible a little bit, you get to read yourself into the Bible a little bit. And that's God's call in your life. Let me give you our key phrase of the night. Like Nehemiah, we have the ability to walk out the prophecies of God and to be tools that he uses to accomplish his will. You have this ability. If you will let him, God will use you this way. Nehemiah had to let him. Joseph had to let him. Noah had to let him. Moses had to let him. David had to let him. And yet each one of these key figures in the Bible had a calling and a destiny of God, and they got to be part of the prophetic scriptures. Some of them lived their life foreshadowing Yeshua. Others were prophesied about in the past, and they got to live out the prophecy. And you get to do that as well. You have been called for this time, for this season, for this task and this location. So how did Nehemiah do it? What was his secret? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of clues as we close. How did Nehemiah do it? How did he get to the point of seeing himself prophetically walking out scripture? Well, the first thing I want to present to you is that when Nehemiah found himself serving the king in the citadel of Susa, he was faithful wherever God put him. He was a faithful cupbearer 
advisor, counselor, trusted friend of the king. He was faithful wherever he found himself, and he served the king with faithfulness. Then, my second thought is, he was interested in what was going on in Israel. Remember, when the guys had the report coming back, he was quick to say, hurry, tell me what has happened in Israel. He was concerned about the welfare of Israel. Third, no matter what faced Nehemiah, whether it was a troubling report or a request of the king, his instinct was always to pray first. He served faithfully where he was with the king. He was interested in the, and concerned with the welfare of Israel. He had an instinct to pray. And then when he was given authority by way of letter, by way of seal, by way of timber, by way of army officers, by way of cavalry, when he was given authority to do God's will, he was faithful to walk out God's will. Even in the face of opposition, mockery, and ridicule, he was faithful to walk out God's will, even when it wasn't easy. I'm telling you how he did it. And finally, in doing these four things, Nehemiah first found himself part of the prophecy of judgment because he lived in the exile. But by doing these four things, he now found himself part of the prophecy of rebuilding Jerusalem. You understand? He was, he was living as part of the prophecy of the exile and the judgment. But by turning to the Lord with repentance and confession and prayer and seeking God's will and being having an instinct of prayer and being faithful, no matter what opposition he faced, he not only found himself first in the prophecy of judgment, but now he finds himself living out the prophecy of rebuilding. Friends, tonight you are living out part of the prophecies of the scripture. Can you stand to your feet? Let me bless you and pray over you. I want to impart something to you tonight. I want you to understand. Stand to your feet if you can. I want you to understand. You are not living at this time by accident. God doesn't do random. He doesn't do accidents. He wants you and needs you to do His will right now. He needs you to be faithful where you are. He needs you to have an instinct of prayer. And He needs you to push past any opposition to His word. But I think tonight God wants you, King of Kings. Listen to me, family in the house, and those of you that will be with us next week. He wants us to embrace the fact that we get the chance to live out the scriptures. The scriptures are not far off from us anymore. What did Yeshua say? The kingdom of God is near you. It's closer than you think. The realities of his kingdom are here. So if you'll just put yourself in a position to receive this great blessing, and then I want to celebrate with you with some worship. To celebrate the, the high calling of God. Father, in the name of Yeshua, I pray for new revelation for all of our people. I pray that we no longer read the word of God and, and somehow we come away with a, a dry feeling. 
but wellsprings of praise would arise anytime we open the scriptures. Newness would flood us like Nehemiah is not just a cupbearer. Nehemiah is a forerunner of the attributes of the Messiah. Nehemiah is living out prophecy. Let us see new revelation when we read and sit in the Holy Spirit presence. God, I pray that if the enemy has discouraged any of us to think that we don't have an important role to play, we reject that tonight in the name of Yeshua. We have a crucial role to play in this last age. And we want to receive that tonight. We, want to, we don't want to run from this because there will certainly be opposition, mockery, and ridicule. We want to embrace it. And that's why our hands are open tonight, God. We're saying yes. That's what this means from our heart tonight, God. Yes. We embrace tonight your high calling to live in Jerusalem for this age that you've prophesied about. Thank you for choosing us tonight. We, we confess we are not ready on our own, but we know you'll be faithful to equip us. And so tonight we celebrate your goodness because you have always been faithful to us. Thank you for choosing us tonight, God. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 